Inspiring stories, practical applications. Doing ministry well. Hey everyone, I believe you're here because you love learning from others. One of the last questions I ask people I interview is what resource has been inspiring you lately? Audible.com and Doing Ministry Well have teamed up to bring you a free 30-day trial so that even if you don't have time to sit down and read a book, you can listen to some of the great resources that are shared here. Sign up at audibletrial.com slash doingministrywell. All right. Hello, everyone, and thank you for checking into another episode of Doing Ministry Well. We are actually in Clarksville, Tennessee today, and I'm Jim Baker, your host, and today we are joined by Jimmy Turner. Jimmy, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's an honor. Jimmy, I think we met in 2003 in Adams, Tennessee at the YWAM Nashville base. And uh, one of my favorite memories from that time was right after outreach, he took me out to Baja Fresh in Nashville. And uh, we did a little street evangelism down there. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah. A lot of fun stuff happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jimmy, you are one of the... Well, first off, I just moved from Hawaii to Tennessee to work with you, so that's a pretty big deal. Um, but the reason I've done that is because in the last decade, um, there's been a lot of people that have kind of come and gone when it comes to Christianity, but I've really seen you consistently and passionately follow after the Lord over this past decade, and uh, I just really appreciate about that about you, and I'm excited to kind of hear what some of the secrets are secrets uh to doing that as we get into this interview but jimmy tell me how long you've been in ministry i've been in full-time ministry for 15 years 15 years yeah. and uh what are you currently doing i'm currently uh a young adult pastor at my church i'm over the junior high senior high college age i'm also the outreach coordinator of the church local outreach and i run things called a red school in a circuit rider group where we kind of join together with a bunch of people that travel around and preach and teach and we run these mini discipleship schools and churches and and that's going really well as well so awesome yeah jimmy and uh your 15 years of ministry and i know you've done a lot you've done a lot of other things as well. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've done in the span of that 15 years as well? In the 15 years, I was in YWAM for five to six years. And at that point in my life, I'd traveled to over 13 countries and preached the gospel in Muslim countries and communist countries and about a, a lot of different places. So um, got to plant churches out of that, got to see thousands come to Jesus, lots of fun, good, powerful ministry. Uh, made a lot of good friends in that time. After that, I joined the, well, I was hired by the Clarksville Vineyard Church to come in and be the youth pastor, and I've done that ever since for 10 years, and my job has grown in that time of not just being the youth pastor, but also doing outreach and running these red schools and discipleship stuff, and even since then, I've traveled to couple more countries and to have continued to travel to a lot of the ones that I'd already been to and planted more churches shared the gospel with a couple thousand more <laughs> and I've seen a lot of healings fun healings like people getting out of wheelchairs and walking for the first time in 10 years and deaf ears opening people with incurable diseases being healed and uh, lots of fun fun ministry like you would see in the Bible in, in the gospel so that's awesome. Yeah. 
what a out of that 15 years, I mean, you just shared a little bit about those, uh, some of those testimonies of cool things you've seen. What is the highlight of all of your time in ministry? Mm, man, that's so difficult to pin down. Uh, is there one specific story that comes to mind or a couple? If you want to share a couple, that's cool too. There's such a, like a spectrum. Like when you're preaching the gospel, I'd say when I was in, when I was in Peru and, and I got to share the gospel in front of, you know, like a crowd of a thousand people and a bunch of them came to the Lord, that was a big moment for me. When I was in Mexico and we got to partner with the church while we were preaching the gospel and this whole like little village came to the Lord and we planted a church that day, that was a big moment. But running these discipleship classes, seeing people like a man named Isaiah came through one of our courses. He was homeless through a ministry we were doing, he got saved. He came to the outreach, ended up getting a place to live, a job, a car. His life turned upside down. Now he lives for Jesus with all his heart. And, and uh, seeing that man's life completely transformed. He was a homeless, alcoholic, drug addict with a spirit of murder on him. Now he is loving people and, and living for the gospel. And so that's a big, powerful moment Like that I look at and go, man, the gospel transforms lives. Mm-hmm. I've seen it on the big scale of, of thousands coming to know him and, and, and walked with some of those people afterwards, and they're still walking with the, the churches we've planted are still going. Uh, so that's good, but to, to see it in a specific person's life where they come through this process of laying down their life for the gospel, the gospel coming alive in them, and they start to look like Jesus. And he changes the practical area of their life, too. You know, so. And then there was the healing side of things. I'm sorry I'm talking too long, probably. No, let's, uh, let's hear it. Let's hear it. You know, one of the first healings I saw happen, it was actually the second healing I saw happen, was a lady with an incurable autoimmune disease. She was losing the ability to walk got completely healed um, in in a ministry time we had with her. The Lord did some major stuff. She turned around. She couldn't walk very well because of the disease, and now she's dancing all over the place. And to see the gospel come in, the power of the name of Jesus to come in and transform somebody's body, but it didn't stop at her body because sickness never stops at just the body. Somebody that's sick is sick in the heart too as well, you know? Um, like it affects the entire being. We're not one-dimensional. So to see the gospel come into this lady's body, but yet it transformed her mind and the way she looked at God at the same time was a beautiful thing. There's one more time where I prayed for a guy that he couldn't move his right leg and he was in a wheelchair. And as we said the name of Jesus, the and my hand was on his leg, the muscle twitched. like, And every time we would say the name of be healed in the name of Jesus, that muscle would would pop my hand, and it caught me off guard. And, and after like three or four times, I looked at the guy, and I was like, are you doing that? Like, are you are you flexing? Are you like, he goes, I'm not doing it. Every time you say Jesus' name, that muscle moves on its own. And it was like jump-starting back. Five minutes later, the guy gets out of the wheelchair, walks, walks upstairs, downstairs, wow. you know, steps over into the bathtub, steps out of the bathtub, just does everything he couldn't do five minutes earlier. 
and is just weeping that God loves them, you know? And so that was a very... Man, when you see somebody get out of the wheelchair for the first time, you come out of that and you go, where's the next wheelchair? Like, whoa, this is so awesome. Like, I want to go pray for another person in a wheelchair right now. And it just stirs your heart up to see the goodness of the Lord, you know? And he doesn't ever do these miracles as publicity stunts. He really loves people. He cares more about their well-being than than we do. Like, we want to see it happen because, man, the doctor will get saved or their friends will come to know him. But he wants them to be healed because that's his child that is suffering. And he loves them. And he has compassion for their brokenness. And so seeing that played out in people's lives, stepping in and just speaking like Jesus would speak to them, doing what Jesus would do in that situation telling them to be healed like he would do, and then seeing it happen like, man, so much fun. Hmm, that's awesome. Why don't you actually tell a little bit more about that story of that uh, the second healing that you saw? I think that's the same story that you taught on last week um, in the in the Red School that we're, we're doing together. But that's just such a great, yeah, great story, the whole story, and I, I want our listens, listeners to hear that. So why don't you tell that whole story? All right, that's a, that's a funny story. The lady's name is Gretchen. She's from Pennsylvania. Uh, I was actually up doing my grandfather's funeral. He had just died. And I'd been getting into like studying Jesus when it came to healing. And my mind was really wrecked compared to, like, I'd never realized. You know, today we think of healing as like Russian roulette with most Christians. You're lucky if it happens. Uh, but. Five out of six times, it's not going to. Probably nine out of ten times, it's not going to happen. Only the lucky people. You win the lottery, you know. So random chance, you're going to pull the trigger and it's going to go. Um, and that's the way it was for me. But when I would study Jesus in the Bible, it wasn't random. And people that had no hope would look at him and all of a sudden have hope. That they would say to themselves, if I just touch him, I'll be made whole. And so that transition was happening in my mind, and I'm preaching at my grandfather's funeral, uh, and I see this lady come in, and I've known her for a long time. It was the first time I've seen her with those crutches that wrap around her wrist because, you know, she needed them on a consistent basis. Her legs were losing strength. And so she came in, and my first thought when I saw her was, that's not right. Like... That's not what God wants, period. And I, I became, this thing rose up in my heart like, mm, like I don't like that. Like, um, and so as soon as the funeral was over, I'm saying, you know, people were thanking me for how I did and how nice it was. And, and I see her and she was like, you did a good job. And I was like, Gretchen, I want to pray for you and you're going to be healed. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And she was like, you know, in that awkward moment, she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, Jimmy's crazy. And so we stepped outside, and we're, we're standing out by her car. Her and her husband are there, and I'm like, can I put my hand on your back, and I just want to pray for you to be healed. And so she said yes, and I prayed for her, and I said, did you feel anything? Because I always like to see what the Holy Spirit's doing. Sometimes people will feel fire come through their body, like a heat. Sometimes people will feel like electricity. A lot of people feel peace, like a blanket of peace come over their heart where that fear had been raining because of the disease. Because when you're sick, fear comes in with that, like heavy. 
and a sign that the kingdoms come in is that there's peace because mm-hmm. there's peace with, he's the king of peace you know so he steps into that place and goes uh, you know peace is here and so I'm asking her I said do you feel anything she said no I didn't feel anything I said can I pray for you again? She's like, oh, this is getting more awkward. <laughs> uh, she said, yeah, yeah, you can pray for me again. And so I did. Now, when I say I prayed for her, this is what I did. I put my hand on her back and I said, be healed in Jesus' name. Strength, enter, muscles be remade. All pain go now, disease leave in Jesus' name. Now, notice I'm not asking God to heal her. I'm not asking God what his will is so that it'll happen because there's no sickness in heaven. We know the will of God doesn't change from there to here. So I said, be healed, because this is what Jesus did. He would say, be healed, right? He would command them well. We got to do what Jesus did if we want to get what Jesus got. That's just the way it is. Um, So I began to do that. Just like I saw in the scripture, I would speak to her body like he spoke to theirs and say, be healed right now as if he was really in me and I was really doing what he wanted done. And so I said, did you feel anything happen? She said, no, I didn't feel anything happen. And and I said, well, can I pray for you again? She goes, no. Uh, she goes, I think that God is just using this disease to take me to him faster. And I looked at her with compassion. Like I wasn't like, that's dumb. <laughs> you know, I looked at her and I said... Uh, Gretchen, that sounds like really good religion, but that doesn't sound like Jesus from the Bible at all, right? If you try to imagine Jesus saying that to somebody in the Bible as he was doing healing ministries, you don't ever get that. Like, hey, I'm not going to heal you today, buddy, because this disease is going to take you to God faster, and that's what he wants. That's not what he did. If that were the will of God, he would have done that, and the disciples would have taken note. But what he did was multitude after multitude, he healed them all. you know. And so I said, that doesn't sound like Jesus at all. And she goes, okay. And I said, you watch your body. As you go home tonight, you are going to be healed. And she gave me the one last crazy, like, Jimmy's lost his mind, half smile, like, hey, hey, okay. And we hug and say goodbye. And that's all I'd heard from it for three months, you know. And I just went home and thought, wow, man, if Jesus were there, she'd have been healed. You know, I don't ever go into shaming. Like, I don't ever come away from when somebody, and people don't get healed a lot when I pray for them. That just happens. It's part of ministry, and it's it's grown, you know, the percentage has grown from like 10% to probably 60-70 percentage of people that I pray for get healed or some measure of healing. Um, but I go back into my time with the Lord and I say, Jesus, if you were there in the flesh, it would have been done. Make me like you, you know. Jesus never sinned, yet I still struggle with with sin from time to time, I don't ever come back to it and go, man, I, I must not be saved because of this. No, I just come to him and repent and go, all right, make me like you. I want to love people like you do, you know? We don't apply that to the supernatural side of things, to the healings and stuff like that. We, we A lot of times in our minds we go, well, if it didn't happen, therefore, blah, blah, blah. And we don't look at the human aspect of it. We are becoming like Christ in all things, going from glory to glory. This is a moment where we step back and go, okay, Jesus of the Bible, what would have happened? I'm not quite there yet. Make make me like you. Change the way I think. 
because I'm thinking different than you. There's something I'm not seeing in you in Scripture, you know. And so adjusting what you see in Jesus and coming into him and becoming like him, right? So I, I did. I went back and I did that. And then three months later, I'm talking to my mom, and we're talking about Gretchen. And she's like, she's like, well, Gretchen, this, that, and the other. I forget what she said. And I said, oh, how's she doing? Like, any better since we prayed? She goes, what? She's healed, totally healed. And I said, what? <laughs> she goes, you didn't know? I said, no, nobody has told me anything. And instantly, when she said she was healed, in my mind, I thought, somebody else prayed for her, and she got healed because I'm really lame. <laughs> like this pride in me. I'm like, oh, gosh. She, somebody else prayed for her, and she got healed. And she goes, uh, I said, why didn't you guys tell me that she got healed? And my mom said, well, you told her she was going to, so we all thought that you knew. Nobody thought to tell you. She got healed that night. You need to call her. So I called her. I said, Gretchen, what happened? She said, Jimmy, when I went home that night, I laid in my bed, and the pain increased in my body, and I couldn't move my legs at all. And she said, at that point, I thought to myself, uh, you know, I guess this is it. I'm done walking. And right then she heard the voice of the Lord speak to her and say, Gretchen, I want you to live, but you don't want to live anymore. Now, side note, people that are sick for a long time, especially with big things like that, um, they go into a pit of despair. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? We're not one-dimensional beings. She wasn't just sick in the body. Her heart was sick too. She didn't want to live anymore. She'd agreed with the message of death over her life, and she wasn't receiving the ministry that I was given to her at that point because she had like this miss, an ungodly belief about God, right? And so she was letting me pray for her, but she wasn't receiving because she was believing God was doing this evil in her to get her there instead of seeing that he was there to heal. And so he speaks this to her. The spirit of death is on her, and she is agreed with it. And then he says, I want you to live. A.K.A. my will is for you to live, but you don't want to. And she goes, what? And he said it again. I want you to live, but you don't want to live anymore. And it pierced her heart, and she began to cry right there. And... She repented, and she said, God, I want what you want for me. I want to live, you know. And we don't ever blame somebody that's sick for, you know. Jesus compared a sick person to an animal, an animal being stuck in a pit. They can't help themselves. They're, they're, that's why he came, to heal them, do what they couldn't do. They can't think their way out of it, you know what I mean? They need to receive the help that's being given to them. But the enemy has them there, and they're, they're hurting for a long time. And there's this great compassion of the Lord for them to reach in and pull them out of the pit on that day. And so that's what happened. The Lord spoke to her. And soon as she repented, she said, um, all of a sudden, everything Jimmy prayed for me began to come back into my mind. I heard his voice praying again. And I'm sure if we went back and looked at it, that night I prayed for her again to be healed. That could have been it. It could have just been what the Lord was saying. Hey, this is what's going on. Uh, what that was my will, it's happening now in your body. Right then, she felt the presence of God come over her body, and she felt this energy in her, her body, and she turned to get out of the pain, bed, and the pain had left completely. 
And when she stood up, she took two steps or so towards the door, and she felt full strength enter her body again. By the time she got to the hallway, she was dancing down the hallway to her husband, feeling 100% better. And her husband's crying. She's crying. (laughs) And then she started wearing these big wooden clodhoppers everywhere so she could dance down the aisle of, like, the grocery store. At one grocery store, she was dancing down in her clodhoppers and the... And the, a guy that worked there said to her, what are you so happy about? Like, why are you dancing? And she looked at him and said, I couldn't walk. And Jesus healed me, and now I can't stop dancing. Like, let's take that and just look at it. He healed her body, but joy was released in her soul because she saw the Father differently, rightly, through the way Jesus is. So, again, not one-dimensional like you can get healed in the soul and it'll impact your body, but you can get healed in the body and it'll impact your soul and your spirit and the way you see. You know, when when the disciples, who was it, Peter and John, when they were walking into the temple and they healed the man that was lame, it says he jumped up and ran and worshipped. Like all this happened emotionally, he was restored. Physically, he was restored. Spiritually, he was restored to the Father in this one moment. And the doorway was healing for that person. And so it's such a beautiful thing to see happen. Now she's, that was eight, nine years ago. And she's still completely, totally healed. And even got healed of a little deafness, if I remember correctly. Um, So totally, her life was totally changed. And it all came from seeing, I never saw anybody get healed. And then I went from not seeing anybody get healed, but seeing lots of people get saved to changing the way I saw Jesus in the scriptures, the way he actually was. And all of a sudden, as I saw him in this light as not just Savior, but healer, all of a sudden healing starts manifesting through my life. And it's only increased as I've seen more of him and begun to believe on more of him, of who he is in the Bible. And not through other people's experiences or Benny Hinn on TV or... Not that Benny and I have nothing against them, but through other people's testimonies, they're, they're great. I love to use those to build people up. But where faith is born is through the hearing of the Word, and Jesus is the Word. And when we hear about the Jesus of the Bible, faith is born. Now, we try to build faith in people by telling them they need faith, right? The way the Bible says to build faith is to talk about the Word, which is Jesus. Right? Talk about who he is, what he did, what he didn't do, what he said, what he didn't say. And as you talk about him, faith begins, you'll watch it in people's eyes. It begins to rise up inside of them. And they start going from the pit of despair of going, this is on me forever, to he can do that. He wants to do that. And you can even see it in the, the eyes. And you can see they're, re- they're ready right now. Like, And I ask them at that moment, do you want me to pray for you? And they'll say, most of the time they'll say yes. And uh, and a lot of times it'll happen. Like, bam, something crazy will happen. And But that transition had to happen in my life to see Jesus in the Bible because that's who we're becoming like. Right? So, sorry. No, that's good. That's really good. I'm sure we're going to get back to that topic because it's a hot topic, and I'm sure many of our listeners have many questions. But let's just move to the, the next question right now. Um, what's been your biggest struggle in ministry and how have you overcome that? Biggest struggle in ministry. Mm, that's <laughs> only one. No, I'm just kidding. 
The biggest struggle in ministry, I would say for me, has been uh, dude, that's such a hard one. There's like three or four in my mind. Financially, you're not going to get rich doing ministry, and if you are, you're probably not doing ministry. <laughs> Something's wrong. No, no, that's probably my poverty mentality talking there, but um, you know, feeling frustrated at the point of not having enough finances sometimes, but then God always comes through, you know? Always, supernaturally, He breaks through when needed. So I don't know that that's such a big issue. One, a struggle in ministry is not probably the biggest thing, is not becoming offended. Mm. And what I see in people around me and what I see the temptation is in the hard times, because there was a moment in ministry where the church I was working for reduced my pay and said that I, I wasn't doing enough things in the main body. I was only working with the teens at the time. And that I, I needed to do more. And then I was already tapped out with what I could do. But it was like they were looking at me and my ministry and saying it's not good enough. And in the middle of that, it was a great temptation. I probably succumbed to it a little bit. <laughs> more than I'd like to admit of becoming offended. Offended at people. Offended at God. Like... And the Lord's walked me through that, brought a lot of healing there, and, and really he was putting his finger on my identity and, and bringing me back to the fact that he's my provider and that he is my identity and he is, is my source, not them. But man, it's so easy to slip into offense. And you know, when you're offended, you're the one that's locking yourself in prison and being tormented. You know, you're the one that is drinking the poison and hoping everybody else gets hurt. And I see a lot of people in ministry that they get offended because they're not recognized or they're not valued or they're not, something didn't work out the way they wanted it to. And instead of dealing with that with the Lord, um, they, they continue that offense. And I've seen it divide them from things. I've seen, you know... A lot of church plants come out of a fence, <laughs> you know, where they can't walk together. Instead of planting out of peace, they plant out of what they didn't want to do, you know, or and they're offended. Or a lot of people leave ministry and pack up and take their ball and go home because they're offended and the enemy's caught them in this trap. And I, I would say not biting the hook of offense has been hard. And how, I mean, what's the what's the practical step to not being offended? <laughs> Admitting that you're offended. <laughs> you're not going to make it through life without getting offended. It's what you do in that moment of realizing, hey, this hurt me. <laughs> and being able to speak clearly because you have a voice. You have a voice. You have, you have words the Lord has giving you a voice for that purpose to communicate but a lot of times it comes down to you're finding your identity in something other than the lord and that's where it's hurting so bad so admitting that it does hurt that bad but that you need to deal with it with the lord and i'm not saying don't deal with it with the people you've offended but have been offended by that needs to happen too you need to communicate it 
communication's key, but you have to realize the main offense is between you and God. The main sin there, the main hook you've bit is the real issue. Is that, yeah, they've done a lot of things to me, but it's hurting because my source is them and not the Lord. You know, and coming back to that place, releasing forgiveness, communicating the offense, doesn't matter how they respond to it. You know, Jesus is hanging on the cross. This one's really pierced me is that Jesus is hanging on the cross. People were spitting on him, you know, mocking him, jeering him, hoping, wishing, and telling him to die and mocking him in the middle of it. And he looks at them and cries out to the Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And if at any moment they did know what they were doing, they knew they were mocking him. They knew they were killing him. They knew they were hurting him. They didn't know the big picture, yes, but you know it's hard for us to see the big picture when the, we're being stabbed right there. But Jesus' source wasn't their opinion of him. It was from the Father. And from that place he could go, forgive them. As though they're hurting me, they don't know what they're doing. And that's the heart of God towards us. That has to be, our, like, Jesus' relationship with the Father has to be our relationship with the Father. And we have to come to this place where we don't, we're not so spiritual that we can't be offended, because we can. The point isn't us being perfect, it's Him being perfect. And us coming into Him and going, hey, be my source in this situation. And then once you reestablish that and deal with that heart issue, then go to the others and say, you offended me, this hurt me. I forgive you for it, whether you want it or not. On my end, I release you from this thing. You know? And I, I feel like that's been a source of life. But it, I'm not going to tell you that it hasn't come without crying and nights of feeling super anxious and my wife having to speak truth over me and, um, and mean tuck tailing and running and not wanting to talk to anybody or anything you know like that's all those things happened i had to wrestle with the lord on it you know that's good so it's good all right we're gonna take a quick break and we will be back in a minute if you haven't checked out the new doingministrywell.com website, check it out. We chose Swissco to do our overhaul and are so happy with the results. Swissco makes ministry websites beautiful and hassle-free. Schedule a free consultation today at swissco.us. Hi, this is Brian Ensminger. If you enjoyed doing ministry well, we'd really appreciate it if you'd check out the Engaging Missions show, where we deliver God's stories to your earbuds. You can find us at engagingmissions.com. All right, and we're back. And uh, Jimmy thought we were back earlier, so he started yep. giving you three practical tips. But we weren't recording yet, but now we are. So, Jimmy, please share with us three practical tips to doing ministry well. well I already shared the most important one, and I'm not going back and doing that. <laughs> the listeners missed it because they were on a break. <laughs> Just kidding. Doing ministry well. Let's go from the um, three down to one. Three down to one. Uh Number three, I would say, in doing ministry well is remembering that it's about loving people, period. 
that sharing the gospel isn't winning an argument, that ministering healing isn't winning a testimony, that providing for people or, or, or like giving of yourself, it, you know, it's all about love and compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion and he healed people. He, he ministered to them. Uh, if you want to do ministry well, have the compassion of God. Love people like Jesus did. That should probably be number one. It's number two and number three. All right, so number two, if you want to do ministry well, um, especially if you're married or plan to be married, um, remember loving your family is top priority. Making sure that you are loving your wife and loving your kids and not forsaking them for the ministry is top priority. They're the first ministry God has given you. They're not a byproduct. They're not there for you to succeed in ministry. Like, I don't want to see the world come to Jesus and watch my kids walk away and hate me and hate God. That's not okay with me. Like, and that comes down to being, being who you are at home and at work. But loving your family, like your marriage and your family are a garden, the most immediate garden to you in your life. You will eat the fruit of it, and if you plant good seeds in it and pull out weeds, you'll have a good garden. If you aren't intentional, and it's the hardest thing, especially for a man, we go on mission, we come home, we go to work, we come home. We relax, but at home is where we need to be the most Christ-like, right? Loving, and it'll be a source of life. And I've seen in a lot of people's ministries where it's been a source of contention and has actually brought them out of ministry because at home, things were not well. I don't mean you have to be perfect, but you have to love. You have to love your wife. You have to love your kids. You have to be like Jesus to them. That'd be number two. Is that okay for that one to be in there? Like doing ministry well. I, I think I come, I have six kids, five and one on the way. Been married for six years. And I would say when things are not good at home, God still shows up in ministry and because it's about him and his presence. But when things are well, when I'm doing my job at home, when I'm loving my life, like my wife, like Christ loves the church. It is a wellspring of life to me. And it bleeds over into every area of my life. Right? And so, and that's your place of peace as well. Number one, the most important thing in doing ministry well. And a man named Doug Tunney told me this when I did my first little mission trip called Joshua Generation 16, 17 years ago. He said to our whole group, he said, um, if you don't have time with the Lord consistently, you will never make it in ministry. He's seen so many of his friends fall away, walk away, be lured away by other things, other lovers less wild um, than Jesus because they haven't stayed connected to the source. Right? And that is you 
spending time with the Lord. I hate calling it quiet times because mine are far from quiet. Um, I'd, I'd be a liar if I said I did it every day. I would love to do it every day, but, you know, I got babies that wake up before the crack of dawn. And a lot of my times with the Lord are running <laughs> running around chasing kids and sharing my heart with God while I'm doing it and hearing them in the car. And But always connecting. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So it all begins here. You connecting to the vine that is the Father through Christ. Receiving. In fact, your number one job in doing ministry well is to receive from the Father. That's all the branch does. We look at the fruit of the branch, that the grapes are are good, and we go, that branch is doing its job, but that's not true. Uh, that's a byproduct of the branch doing its job. The branch doing its job is, is this one thing, staying connected to the source. Without staying connected, and how do we do that practically? Uh, we get with the Lord. We get al- alone with Him. You know, sometimes alone with Him in my world is with two kids climbing on me, and I'm just loving on Jesus while I'm holding my babies. But... You know, getting alone with him, hearing what's on his heart, receiving from him, getting into the word and seeking his face and talking to him like a friend. Let him share his heart with you. You share your heart with him and receive from the source of life. Just like he would slip away with the Father by himself, we do the same thing. If if Jesus did it, it was because we needed it (laughs) and we need to come in like he does. I don't think you can maintain ministry, because this is what we're talking about. Not just doing ministry well in a moment, but doing ministry well for a lifetime. You will not survive if you do not stay connected to the source. My friend told me that. He was a mentor of mine in that mission trip, and I have seen it in my life in the 15 years of ministry I've been in. So many friends have walked away from the Lord even that far, but left the calling of God on their life because they stopped going to the source and they got distracted by other things. And uh, that source is the most important thing, that time with the Lord, receiving from Now, you can have quiet times or whatever that have nothing to do with receiving from God. You're just doing it rote. You're just reading the Bible to check off a block. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where you get into his presence and there's an exchange of life that happens where you're giving him what's in your heart he gives you what's in his you're having time with him you're seeking his face like a friend face to face like Moses you know Jesus away on the mountain with him Um, that's the number one thing I think to doing ministry well Those are good. Let's jump in and expound on those a little bit. You're, uh, I love that you did it backward. You're the first person I've interviewed that's gone three, two, one. So that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, number three, uh, just remembering to love people. Uh, what does that What does that tangibly look like? What does that look like for you? What that looks like for me is being moved. Not just like I feel like in Christianity we say loving people. Like oh, we shouldn't share. I've heard this line of thinking that we shouldn't. Don't, don't share the gospel with them unless you're loving. To, well, the gospel is loving. Like, it's not loving for me to have a cure to a disease and not give them that disease. So practically, 
We're to be sharing the gospel with saved people and unsaved people, with each other all the time, drawing each other, intentionally drawing people to the Father, right? So that is loving somebody, but not just doing that, because I can do that without loving them, but actually being moved with compassion is the tricky part. I can look around and see the need for healing and want to see it happen because it's a good thing. It's good for them. It's good for a testimony. It's cool. <laughs> you know, when somebody walks for the first time, it's cool, but I'm still, you know, not moved by love. And what is that? That is God's heart for the situation. So, practically, it's moving from this place of instead of doing what I know I should do, doing it because I know his love for them in that situation. Mm. When I look at a person, and I always use healing because healing is it's so practical to me because I'm going to minister healing, right? When I see people get healed the most is when I feel the compassion of the Lord in the situation the most. Not when I feel faith. Faith. Jesus would recognize people's faith after the fact. Go, your faith has made you well, he would say to people. Right? And they'd be like, huh? <laughs> like, he would recognize, hey, the thing that brought you to me, that's called faith. But that's not what moved him to people. Right? And it's very important to know this, that what God moves towards you from is always compassion, not your faith. What brought you into proximity to him was you going, I'm going to, this might happen. Like the woman with the issue of blood for 13 years, suffered greatly. You know, she sees Jesus and says to herself, if I only touch him. That was faith. She wouldn't know it was faith. He had to recognize it in her. Hey, by the way, what you saw that drew you, that's faith. But what drew him to her, what drew, draws him to people to heal is compassion. And it has to be the main motivation for our hearts. Because, man, we can do ministry for so many different reasons. We can do it because we get paid to do it. We can do it because it's the right thing to do. But there's this, like what Paul says, if I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I am nothing. Right? I can prophesy until the paint falls off the walls and everything happens, but if I have not love, I'm just a resounding gong. That's scary. <laughs> you know, if I see the world get healed through great miracles, signs, and wonders, but I have not love, I've done nothing. That's scary. How do you quantify that? How, there's no practical way. It's just coming back to your heart and God going, Jesus, make me like you. And now that'll work out. A person without love can do the same thing a person with love can do, right? But they come to totally different ends. And so that number three is very much uh, a heart issue of us constantly going back and going. Am I moving from what you move from? Is your compassion moving through me? Like, do I want to see Muslims get saved because they're really bad or because you love them a whole lot? Right? That's good. Yeah, you mentioned something uh, this past Sunday when you were preaching up in Milan, uh, just kind of about, about love versus authority. You know what I'm talking about? Can you expand on that a little oh, bit? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard a man named Leif Hetland who totally changed my life in one teaching. 
But he said this statement, you can only have authority over stuff in the kingdom that you love. It's the only thing that gives you authority. He works with Muslims all the time, and he said, do you know why I have authority to speak into the Muslims? Because I love them. I'm not afraid of them. They're not a problem to me. They're a promise from God. And you only fear, if you fear something, you have no authority over it. And the only way fear leaves is through love. And if you love something with the love of the Father, you have authority to speak into it. You have authority over that situation. That's good. That's yeah. good. Um, the second one was family first. What, is that, what does that practically look like for you? Family first. Man, that, what that looks like for me is just right off the top of my head, one, that I'm willing to lay down other things as much for my family as I am for ministry. Now, I can bend my family over and twist them in knots trying to get somewhere to do ministry, but I need to honor my family the same way in the same times, that I need to lay down my desires and rights and tiredness and all this to come in and spend time and give my family the first fruits of my life, to say no to some things, some good things, so that I can have time with them. You know, um, I'm not saying disobey the Lord. In fact, I'm saying, hey, you know, you, you don't need to be. It doesn't all, ministry doesn't all revolve around you. And being able to say the two words, the, the two letters, so important. No, you know, <laughs> N-O, no, I'm not going to do that because I'm going to spend time with my family. And practically investing in my family being at sports practices and games, going to parks and playing with my kids, reading to them at night and praying with them, laughing and joking, putting them to bed early and spending quality time with my wife, you know? And so uh, investing, I would say that's the most practical side of it, like investing in them, setting aside time to only be with them. Because as a minister, I will set them aside to do ministry. And at times that's proper because ministry needs to get done and there's stuff that needs to happen. It's the call of God in your life. But if you don't reciprocate that into your family and invest, you're letting other things plant things in your family like a garden. And you'll eat of the fruit that grows up there if you're not intentional. So a lot of it's just intentionality of, of going the extra mile. <laughs> When you are exhausted, that's so hard to do. <laughs> uh, the number one thing you said was consistent time with the Lord, and you mentioned that sometimes that that uh, that requires having two kids on you just because you're you're a dad and you're busy. And but yeah, just talk to us about a little bit more about what your consistent time with the Lord looks like. Um, a lot of times, it looks like a cup of coffee, my Bible open some worship music playing, and me just laying my heart before the Lord before kids wake up, or even they might be awake, but they're, you know, watching a cartoon or something. And, you know, they'll, they'll be walking up in the middle of it, and I'll be answering questions and feeding one a donut. You know, totally a vegetarian donut, don't worry. I'm a good dad, so would not give them those sugary things. <laughs> uh Carrot donuts, those are great. 
In fact, the last one I gave my one kid was a pumpkin donut. That's technically there you go. There you go. Pumpkin flavored, healthy <laughs> health nut. That's me. Um, <laughs> but doing that, and, and my time with talking to Papa God, one, I don't, I don't really call him God. Uh, sometimes maybe Lord, but he's Papa to me. He's Dad to me. What I see in Jesus is that when he would talk to the Pharisees and stuff about God, he would he would say, "You've heard it said, love the Lord," you know. But when he would talk to his disciples about God, he would always do it, "My Father, who's in heaven, our Father, our Papa, our Daddy, our Abba," right. So he moved from a source of God's not this distant God. He moved from a place of he's Papa and he hears my voice. And so I come in, I like to love on him. I love to just thank him. I love to talk about everything I've seen him do and say it's awesome. It's good. He's done good things. And thankfulness, man, thankfulness unlocks so many things. A lot of times when we spend time with the Lord, we spend so much time on what hasn't happened and what we need to do. And rarely do we enter in with thanksgiving. Right? And thanksgiving opens up this door. It opens our heart up to more of Him. Yeah, what He's done and what He will do is awesome. So, practically what a time with the Lord looks like with me is a little bit of worship, just praising Him, talking, not really singing so much, maybe a little... But, you know, loving on him, telling him what I love, being thankful, you know, and then asking him, what's on your heart? What's what's burning in your heart? And then at the end, I might say something like, if I need, like one time I needed $2,000 immediately because my we had this bill out of nowhere and we needed it. And uh, I don't beg him for it. He knows what I need before I ask, and I don't ask a lot. If I ask, it's one time, and it's like, Dad, you know I need $2,000. Bring it in, you know? I'm ready. It's ready. We need it. And you know what? This peace will come in, this transition will happen, and then it'll happen. And it's not like a begging. It's not like a striving. It's not like... I don't have to, he wants to give more than I want to receive, you know. <laughs> he knows what I need before I ask. Asking him and trusting that it's going to happen, like he's a good dad. He provides for his children. And so my needs will be intermittent or as they come up. I won't say they're at the end all the time. I'm not very structured like that, but they're not the most important thing going. Uh the most important thing, really, in the middle of that is seeking what's in his heart, what's on his mind. You know, sometimes it's me it's on his mind. Sometimes how much he loves me. He's got more thoughts towards me than grains of sand. He likes to share those sometimes, and that changes my life more than anything, you know. So, <clears throat> um, so that's what it looks like. Meanwhile, I'm chugging coffee while I'm doing it. And, uh... I try not to use those times to really figure out what I'm supposed to do. Hmm. It's weird. It's not. It's like he'll tell me, 
if my heart's open to him. I really use those times. It's not a study time. It's a get-to-know-you time. Hmm. And it's not so much that he knows me as much as I know him. Hmm. So uh, another little practical thing I do, sometimes I saw this one guy do it once, and he goes, we just, we just drink you in. In faith right now, and sometimes I just pretend to like drink a big vat of fun stuff, Holy Spirit stuff, and go, come on, fill me. I just receive you, because it's more about receiving, you know, than learning. It's about receiving Him. So uh, that's just a practical thing I do, but I love to have the Word there. I can't get out of the Gospels. I love to have worship going on. I love to talk out loud to Him, you know. That's good. Before we get to the last question, some of the stuff we've talked about today is controversial. Healing, provision. I, I'm kind of <clears throat> drafting a quote right now that I'm trying to work through, but it's basically like a God that is good, that heals and provides is so offensive. You know, like mm. if you say that God wants to heal people, all of a sudden you're you're put into this this ultra faith camp or whatever you know if you if you say god wants to provide for you then all of a sudden you're preaching a prosperity gospel Mm -hmm. kind of address that what what what's going on uh what's going on is we've had 1400 years of antichrist theology brought into the church and in that power has been lost right because you become what you behold in the kingdom Right, so if you behold a Jesus that doesn't heal today and the Holy Spirit's not released today, then you're going to become like this powerless Jesus that's just there to make you a better person than you die. But that's not the Christ, and they knew him as the Christ because he healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out devils, preached the gospel of the poor, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we have to go back to the Gospels because we're becoming like Christ. Everybody that claims the name of Christian, that means little Christ. What you're saying of your life is that you are a little Christ walking around. Right? There was no such thing as a powerless Christ walking around. They knew him because of his signs, wonders, and miracles. And then he turned to the people following and said, If you believe in me and the works that I do, these things you will do, John 14, 12, you will do these works. Period. You will do them. And greater things than this you will do. All right? And so we've downplayed the words of Jesus because of our lack of theology and experience. And we've built our theology on things that haven't happened instead of what the Word says and what Jesus said. And, and those people, I love them because they're wrestling. I don't, I don't really respect somebody that doesn't wrestle with it. Questions don't bother me. There's a difference between questioning and offense. Mary questioned the angel that said she was going to have a baby. And she said, how is this going to happen? Like... but then John's father was told that they were going to have a baby and he questioned for a sign and he was he was made mute for (laughs) you want a sign and mute for nine months you know so uh there's this unbelief and then there's questioning if you can come at something with questioning and I challenge anybody to take anything I say take it to Jesus in the Bible 
pin it to him, and if it doesn't stand, don't believe it. But you do it with your own theology too, right? That person I respect. The person that stands back and goes, I don't believe it because whoop, 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 and doesn't take it to the scriptures and, and really wrestle it out. But I also don't... I, I see a lot when I teach these things. People grab it and they run with it like, like this guy said God wants to heal all the time, therefore it's going to happen all the time. Woohoo! And they just blindly grab it. They don't take it to Christ. They just, they're like, you know, it's funny. They're like the seed that drops into the ground and it's in shallow dirt and it springs up quickly and it withers because it doesn't have good roots, right? And so it's biblical, man. <laughs> to get good roots, you got to dive deep into the, the scriptures, into the gospel, because only what's of him is really going to grow well. And so uh, that person, I challenge them to go, yeah, I believe I believe that healing, therefore... Well, if you do, find it in Christ. If you don't, find it in Christ. Most of the people listening to this podcast or you know that wrestle with this could tell me more about Paul's thorn in his flesh than how many people Jesus healed and how he healed. Paul's not our example. Paul was becoming like Christ. That's good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like They'll tell good. me about Old Testament stuff. Well, you know what? It says in, in Hebrews that in the, those days God spoke through prophets and angels, but now he speaks through his Son, who is the perfect reflection of the Father, who illuminates the Old Testament. It's what all the epistles point towards is back to Christ. It's what the Old Testament is, is kind of revealing towards is this Christ that is coming, but we base our theology on everything but the Christ. Right? We base it on Paul or Ananias and Sapphira or all these things that, that happen that are these things, but we don't take the block of who Christ was, what he did, you just need to ask, what did Jesus do and what did he say? What did he not do and what did he not say? They're very important things. He's the Christ. He's the one you're becoming like. And when you begin to look at Scripture like that, then you see a whole more beautiful Jesus that you can put your faith. Faith begins to rise up in you, right? And so looking at him and diving into that, it's not a prosperity gospel. It's a generosity gospel. It's not about what you get. It's what you get to give away. Like, it's he's a giving father. and we Prosperity says, give to me. Generosity says, I'm giving what you give me. You know, like, I'm here to, to give everything. You only get to keep in the kingdom what you give away, right? So, yeah, he wants to bless his children. Just like in the Old Testament, he said to, to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing to the nations. The blessing wasn't for Abraham. The blessing, we get to partake in it, but it's not just for us. It's for the nations. He gives, and his children are like him, and they give because their source isn't what they have. It's their father. When your source is what you have, then you hold on to it and you fight for it because that's what you have. But if your source is something greater than what you have or have been given, right? If it's greater than your inheritance, you have the inheritance giver the source of all of it, you don't have to fight over this. You give it away. You know, it's not your identity isn't in what you're doing or what you're giving or what you've been given. It's who your daddy is. And he, the only person that reveals Papa God perfectly is Jesus. There's no other. But he also reveals who you're supposed to be perfectly. 
It's who you, the whole point of discipleship in your life is that you become like Jesus, right? Not like Paul, not like Peter, as much as them as they became like Christ. But drawing back to the Gospels, I just challenge anybody listening, go back to the Gospels. Go back to it and look at it and go, Jesus, make me like you. What would you do in this situation? I ask people all the time when I'm praying for them. What would you do, what would Jesus do if you asked him in the Bible, if you were in the Bible story and he was there and you asked him to heal you? Based off the scriptures, what would he do? He would heal me. Yes. Some people are like, I don't know, I think he would heal me. I'll say, show me somebody he didn't heal that came to him. Right? There were people that were sick around Jesus that didn't come. And every now and then, he would go grab them and fight through their unbelief <laughs> and still see them get healed. The repertoire of people he healed is way more than what he didn't do. And they'd have taken note of those things, you know. So, um, it is offensive. It's offensive because we're disappointed. It's offensive because we're afraid. It's offensive because there's a different Jesus that's been preached, and I don't mean about salvation. I mean about the whole picture, right? Like the whole picture of who he is has been changed a little bit. 2,000 years ago, Jesus went about, in Acts it says 10, 20, Jesus went about healing all those, doing good and healing all those oppressed of the devil. 2,000 years later, in a lot of churches, if you go around talking about healing, they say you're of the devil. Literally. I've been accused of that. Now how, I will say this, Jesus was accused of the same thing. Alright? So you're in good company. But, then he did those things. Today, if you go around saying he did those things, they go, oh, you're... Ultra faith, you're into this, that, and the other. Like, uh, no, let's look at Jesus of the Bible and go, he's the same. He either is the same yesterday, today, and forever, or he's not. Either there's no shadow of change in him, or there is a shadow of change in him. We either expect what he did then, he will do now, or we believe that there's a different Jesus at work today than there was 2,000 years ago. I challenge that thinking. I'll go to the Gospels, and you go to the Gospels, and let's see what we come out with. I didn't come to this conclusion just because I believed one day, woohoo, I want to believe healing. Uh, I was mocked. I was ridiculed. I was challenged at every corner. I prayed for people, and they didn't get healed. I wept at, on the floor at night for nights on, on end, looking at the Bible and then looking at my life and going, my life does not look like that. My experience, and this is where we get caught up, we base our theology on our experience of what hasn't happened instead of, and I've said this already, instead of the word and what he says is going to happen and should happen. And there's a disconnect there. So, for instance, Uncle Uncle Bob has cancer. He's put on, put on the prayer chain. 10,000 people pray for him. Uncle Bob, he doesn't get healed, and he dies. And we go. The will of God must have been for him to die of cancer. Because all these people tried to outvote God, and he didn't listen to them. Right? That's essentially what we're saying. 
And even that thought of, I need to get as many people to pray, is revealing of what we think about how the Father hears our voice. Jesus didn't run around getting the disciples to pray for every sick person. He didn't say, get more people. It's a big demon in this guy. Let's get more people to pray. That's how we respond, because we don't know the Father loves us and hears us just like he hears Jesus when we're in him. So we do things Jesus didn't do and expect to get what Jesus got, and when it doesn't happen, we go, hmm, guess it's not the will of God. We didn't do anything like Jesus would do it. It's a faulty math problem, and you're coming up with an answer that your algebra is off. <laughs> and the problem isn't, isn't the numbers, it's what you're putting in there, you know? So, does that make sense? Did I cover? Did I hit yeah, the, the, what good. you're going for? So, I, I, I want to say that, um, one, if you're expecting or you want to start walking in healing, uh, expect to pray for people and them to get healed, but also know it's not about you. Some people will let you pray for them, but they're not receiving healing at that time. So what do you do with somebody that's not getting healed? What I do is I always tell them, hey, I'll keep praying with you until you get this or we go see Jesus. We win either way. <laughs> I know it's the will of God because when you get to heaven, you're not going to have this disease, and that's where the will of God's lived out perfectly. So we know his desire there is for you not to have this. Jesus said when you pray, you know, on earth as it is in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in heaven we know it's there. He wants it here. So we'll just remain in this place of receiving from the Father, and I'll keep praying for you, and I'll talk about Jesus with them of the Bible and watch faith build up, right? And so, but you can expect, and I hate to say this, but you can expect people not to get healed when you pray for them because not everybody that you pray for wants to be healed. You see it a lot when you pray for people. People like the identity of being sick. It's a comfort blanket to them. Some people want sympathy and not compassion. They want you to feel bad for them. They don't want out of the pit that they're in. They want sympathy because they feed off of that. They don't want the healing that will come. Because so that means they're going to have to deal with some faulty issues. In their life. Uh, so you have, uh, you have unbelief in yourself that the Lord's going to walk you through. It's a process. <laughs> it's not a one and done I guess that's what I'm trying to get to. It's not a one-and-done deal. It's not a one-and-done, okay, I assent to this mentally, therefore it's always going to happen. That's not the way it works. There's so many more things at play than just you doing it right. You doing it right, like Jesus did, will up your chances of it happening. Right? It'll bring you into a place of receiving from the Father. But they need to receive from the Father too. right? And that's not to shame anybody, but what you do is you speak about Jesus so faith is born in them right that it raises up inside of them and you just remain in that place and if you can be unoffended you know for me I burned the bridges man I burned the boats who was it the the man there was a an explorer in like the 1500s that came to Mexico area <clears throat> had some they had their boats it was really hard on the land 
his men just wanted up and leave. They were mutinying. And one night in the middle of like them planning a mutiny, the guy sent somebody out to burn the boats down. <laughs> it was their only way out of there. Like, <laughs> like their only way. And the, the reason why they were fighting so hard and wanted the mutinies because they wanted to go the other way. They wanted to go the easy route and go home. Um, and he burned the boats, and all of a sudden, everybody was like, all right, we're in. <laughs> we got nowhere else to go. I guess it's fight on or die. So for me, I've stared at Jesus in the, Bible's lo- in the Bible long enough. I've come to a conclusion that um, I'm not quite like him yet, and my experience doesn't equal to truth. The gospel does. And I want to see that. I'm, build- I'm trying to build my life on that. And so I've burned the bridge of the other option of maybe this isn't. And I've, so I've taken the, that verse, John fourteen twelve. If you believe in me and the works that I do, these things you will do, and greater things than this you will do. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do for you. I've taken that and I've gone, make me like you. And I've, I've actually tried to say, Scripture is my foundation. Right, not some faith healer giving testimonies, not holding on to flaky Christianity or the the faith movement that says, "Oh yeah, you know, you need to take your glasses off in faith to be." That's not faith. That's manipulation. You know, if if you get healed, you can take your glasses off. It's not evil to go to a a, do- a doctor. Like go to the. Do- I told a lady just the other day, go keep going. And she was like, "Oh, I don't." want to be out of faith i'm like go to the freaking doctor (laughs) take advil it's good for you praise god for advil praise god for doctors why you do keep your heart open and come into the lord and we'll see this thing healed you know like let's not be hyper spiritual you're gonna get sick i still get sick why because i still need to come to him (laughs) you know what i mean i still struggle with sin man i've been a christian for a long time You know, Jimmy. Last question: What's been yeah. inspiring you lately? Are there any books or resources that have, uh, yeah, just been serving as a, a, a piece of inspiration for you? Yeah, uh, the Gospels, <laughs> especially John, has been rocking me. But they all, literally, I, I say that half jokingly. Uh, for so much of my Christian life, man, I wanted to know what Paul had to say about things, and I'm not downing what Paul had to say about things. It was really good. And I would read obligatorily the Gospels. Like, there, there's a scene in a movie called... Oh, it's a Seth Rogen movie with, I think, Barbara Streisand or something. And they're on a road trip. Maybe it's called Road Trip. I don't know. But they come to the Grand Canyon, and they're, like, looking out over the Grand Canyon, and they're like, oh, oh, yeah, whoa. And then he finally, he looks at his mom, and he's like, so how long's proper to look at this thing <laughs> in awe? Like, I felt like that with the gospel. Okay, I read it once a month because that's kind of like uh, honorary. I should probably read the gospel, and then I'll get into the fun stuff like Ephesians and Philippians and 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 stuff like that, and and really get into it. Uh, but God flipped the script on me, man, and now I cannot. Like, I have a hard time getting into anything else because I just so 
every time I look into the Gospels, I see Jesus clearer and clearer, and I, I feel like my heart becomes like him more. His compassion touches my heart. We don't really look at the Gospels as compassion pouring out on people. We look at it as like, he did this, he did this, this happened. You know, we boil down the Gospel to Jesus dying on the cross, and the Gospel is so much his entire life, his life, death, resurrection and ascension is the good news of the gospel you know the kingdom of god what he taught what he didn't teach so that's all rocking me and i can't get out of it now there's a book i'm reading called healing the orphan spirit by a guy named leif hetland l-e-i-f-h-e-t-l-a-n-d it's been very good there's a book I'm, I'm in the middle of right now called, um, oh shoot, I forget the name of it. It's the Dave Beering book, Jesus, Discipleship Jesus. I freaking, Dave, I'm so sorry, I forget the name of the book. It's in my bag right there. Uh, but this Dave Beering book is really good about discipleship. Discipleship Jesus' way, I feel like, is what it's called. Um, it's really good. Just changing the way we look at how we do discipleship um and another book i'm reading that i like and this is just for people that like apologetics and understanding that stuff is called not enough faith to be an atheist and that's very enjoyable to read you know it's a good book so that's stuff that's been sparking my mind and my heart with the lord and and uh, podcasts man the jesus culture um leadership podcast is excellent that's that's rocking me a lot i love bethel's podcast bill johnson leif hetland does some awesome teachings on the three chairs one of them's called and one is on fear it's really really good um those things are good they keep me connected to the father so awesome Jimmy, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Excellent interview. Uh, would you just close us out by praying for our listeners? I will. And before I do, I just hit the table and you told me not to. I'm sorry. Sorry. Right. I'm sorry. Uh, I just want to say thank you to you, Jim, because you were a faithful man of God. And you're sold out. This guy has laid his life down for the gospel. Um, he said no to good things to push on for great things. And you're, you're constantly in this place of of fighting for what God has for you and not selling out for money or comfort or position and you're willing to go spend your own money to do it you're willing to go uh, hungry to do it you're willing to get tired to do the gospel and you do all things so excellent and well like I can't thank you enough for that you've been a huge blessing to my life big time and i love seeing what god's doing in you and i just want to tell everybody that's listening man hang out with this guy hang out with him he's he brings a lot of wisdom to the table and so all right jesus we love you we honor you i just ask for everybody that's listening man to only hear what you're saying god hear your voice we ask that you would be multiplied in their hearts, that you, they would become like you in love, that they would come become like you in holiness, that they would become like you in power. Jesus, that you'd become the obsession of their heart. 
that you'd become the object of the affection of their heart. And more than that, that they would know that you love them. As the Father loved Jesus, he loves you. And as the Father heard Jesus' voice, he hears your voice. We just release the love of the Father, the source of life. Right now, the love of the Father just fall. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you like he loved Jesus. That love fill the room they're in right now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Awesome, Jimmy. Thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, buddy. If you've enjoyed this episode of Doing Ministry Well, you can help us out by rating, commenting, and subscribing on iTunes and sharing this podcast with your friends. Check out the podcast notes to find out more about today's guests and other resources. And if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions on who we should interview next, contact us at doingministrywell.com. If you'd like to find out more about me, your host, visit my blog at jimjessbaker.com. That's jimjess as in jessica, baker.com.